stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite World Talk radio shows. Visit iradioblog.com. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine, and we will learn to utilize each of them to the maximum and learn to make decisions about what we want and how we want to feel. What a concept! And one we will explore today on the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. On our program, we'll address who you are, why you're here on this planet, how to go within, how to come to know what you believe, and why. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting today from not-so-sunny Arizona. It's cool and cloudy here, and it's it's such a lovely change that we all like it and have been outside seeing how it feels a little bit. Um, want to thank Alice Cooper for our theme song, No More Mr. Nice Guy. We chose that theme song because he lives here, and he's one of the nicest guys in town. And because when you're doing self-improvement work, often you begin to take your power back and you begin to set boundaries and you hear that lovely word, no, coming from your being. And other people around you who are always used to yes think you're not so nice anymore. Hang in there. They'll come around. And if they don't, it's okay. You'll find other people who really like the new you. So don't get upset about it. I want to thank Chad, our engineer. He always keeps things going, even when I don't, um, and always makes it come out right. I want to thank Voice America for making their amazing services available to those of us who want to have a radio show. Um, they're a wonderful, wonderful team, and if you're looking for your own show, I encourage you to contact them first. We have a very, very important show for you today. We're going to be talking about caring for our parents in their older years and preparing for their death. And if you're older, you might want to think about it in terms of yourself. Let me ask you a question, especially if you're over 50. Have you talked to your children about what you want if you become unable to take care of yourself and what you want done in the event of your death? I'll bet the answer is no. If you, on the other hand, have aging parents, have you talked to them about what happens when they reach the point that they can no longer care for themselves? Have you talked to them about end-of-life and medical directives? Again, I bet the answer is no. And the reason is because it's just so uncomfortable. We just don't want to do it. We don't know how. 
I cared for my mother until she went into a nursing home at the age of 91. She wouldn't have any discussions at all about what she wanted done if she got really sick or if she died. She expected me to know what she wanted somehow, I guess, by ESP. I don't know. Uh, I tried a few times to talk to her. I really didn't want to do it, um, but I tried. And I did the best I could. I made the best decisions I could make until she died at 96. And that's only a few years ago. So this is fresh with me. So, you know, I, I just see it as such an important subject. I also cared for my fiancé from the time he began to show symptoms of Lou Gehrig's disease until he was completely bedridden and unable to do the slightest thing for himself. You know, I stayed with him while he was dying in a hospice facility. Uh, we had some discussions, but really neither one of us knew the right questions. We we didn't know what to ask, and he certainly didn't know what to answer. You know, we reached the point in his care that he didn't trust anybody else to do anything for him but me. And so I was sort of 24-7 on duty. Uh, I, I honestly thought I would die of exhaustion before he died from the disease. And we're going to talk about how to take care of yourself as a caregiver as well today. So, you know, really pay attention because this is something all of us have to deal with, whether it's preparing for our own older years or to help our parents do that. And I'm in my older golden years, so, you know, I'm trying to take care of my son so he doesn't have to figure this all out for himself. Today's guest has written a book that gives you both the answers and the questions. Maybe I have that backwards. Maybe it's the questions and the answers. Sometimes they all get all jumbled up and we don't know really where to start. Carolyn Brent received a BA in Business Administration from National University in Los Angeles and an MBA at the University of Phoenix. She is the author of what I consider one of the most important books of our time called Why Wait? The Baby Boomer's Guide to Preparing Emotionally, Financially, and Legally for a Parent's Death. It really is a critical subject and a very timely book. She's the founder of Grandpa's Dream, LLC. She's also the founder of Caregiver Story, a nonprofit organization that provides free medical and legal resources to the public. How cool is that? Her personal mission, listen to this personal mission, is to enhance the lives of family caregivers and their aging parents. As a speaker, she travels throughout the United States lecturing about the importance of adult siblings and parents having what she calls crucial conversations in preparation for end-of-life issues that they're going to face, and they're going to face them. So, you know, you better listen. Um, so that instead of being torn apart, they can come together as a strong family unit. As a result of being a unit, they can create a supportive and loving environment that a parent needs to leave this world with dignity. And let me tell you, when they're in a nursing home, there's very little dignity left or allowed. So it's up to the family to provide this. It is such a pleasure for me to introduce Carolyn Brandt. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show, Carolyn. Thank you, Dr. Conlon, for having me as your guest. I'm honored to be here. 
Oh, and please call me Irene. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we we have so many things we need to talk about today, but you know, let's start out with your story. Tell us how you came to be doing the work you do because it's such a remarkable story. Thank you so much. Um, I became an accidental expert. And what I mean by that, I, growing up, I never had the desire or the dream to, you know, work with aging folks or to be a caregiver spokesman. That wasn't anything that I was planning to do. And the way I became an accidental expert, uh, for many, many years, I continued to try to have the crucial conversations about with my with my siblings in regards to our father. Now we grew up in separate homes from the from the age of twelve and up. My father raised me, and from twelve and up, my mother had custody of the other kids. And the reason why I lived with my dad, and I this kind of really sets the tone as to what happened many years later. I ran away from my mother's home. Because uh, she had custody of all, you know, uh, all of us, uh, all seven of us. I ran away because my mother was abusive towards me. So I ran away from home. I, 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 you know, was at my father's doorstep and said, Dad, can I live with you because, you know, of my mother? And I ended up moving in with my dad, and that was how my father raised me. And as a result of me living with my father, I became very, very close to Dad. He became my hero because, of course, he was always the one that protected me from the hands of my mom, uh, which she was very abusive. And I never actually share that, but I think it's very, very important because uh, what happened to me as an adult, it goes all the way back to childhood. That's where it stems from. So here it is. Uh, uh, many years later, 1997, I'm an adult. I'm working in the pharmaceutical industry, loving my life, loving my job, and uh, having the opportunity to be able to travel. I would uh, spend a lot of time going to Colorado visiting Dad. And on one particular trip, Irene, I went to see my dad, and I noticed Dad, uh, his hygiene was just totally horrible. His refrigerator had spoiled food that had been in there. It looked like for months. It was actually very smelly. His house was at a disarray. And most importantly, Dad had lost a significant amount of weight. He did not look himself. So what I did, I said, Dad, we're going to go to the Veterans Hospital. I need to get you checked out because something's not right. Now, of course, Dad thought he was fine, but I knew that my father that was, you know, my hero, the, the, the guy that had the muscles, the guy that was strong, something, that guy wasn't there. So I had taken Dad to the Veterans Hospital, and the doctor that evaluated Dad and did all, checked all the signs, he said, I am so glad you brought your dad here, Carolyn. Your father's hemoglobins are so low he could have died. And he said, thank God you're his caregiver. And I thought, Irene, I thought, I'm not my daddy's caregiver. I'm the doctor. Dad, fix fix dad. He's not really sick. This is just an isolated incident. He takes care of me. I don't take care of him. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, I, I always looked at dad as the provider, the strong guy, the superman. So at that time... I was not educated 
on the signs of a person having the early signs of dementia, the telltale signs. Those were, Irene, the telltale signs. That's how I got started. Wow. And that's a huge change to adjust to in such a really short period of time. What did, what did you do then so that when you left, he would be able to care for himself, or was he? Well, uh, what I ended up doing, I ended up calling all the family members, stating, this is the condition I found, Dad. Uh, and Dad lived 200 miles from the nearest sibling. He lived in a little town called Lamar, Colorado, and the nearest sibling lived 200 miles away in Denver, Colorado. I lived at that time in Los Angeles. So I called all the siblings and said, this is what's happening with Dad. Could you please drive down and check on him at least once a week? I'm really, really, really nervous. And Irene, my siblings were just simply too busy. They did not want to get involved. They said, Dad's okay. You're overprotective of Dad. You know, Dad's going to be okay. That was uh, the the information I got back from my siblings. Let me ask you this. Since they grew up with your mother, were, did they visit your dad fr- frequently or at all? Yeah, they did. did. They visited dad. But many years later, and Irene, I just discovered this about three years ago because I blocked my childhood completely out of my memory. I mean, this was, and I didn't recall it until about three years ago once I started going for therapy myself, trying to find out why were my siblings and I at this, you know, this end-of-life issue, why did all this happen? My siblings actually, uh, I guess, resented me because my dad, he, my father protected me from my mom because my mom, she was abused when she was growing up, so therefore I was like the, the one person that she identified that, uh, you know, I would get beatings for, like, uh, not eating my food or my hair, uh, my plaits falling down uh, as a, you know, like a, uh, right. a long, young kid. So I would get beatings for little simple stuff. And you were the only one. I was the only one that she took it out on. So wow. uh, my siblings looked at, uh, Dad was always protecting me. I was Dad's favorite. So that's what caused that. I do believe that that's where the resentment lied because uh, Dad was always trying to do things for me to, I guess, cover up for the abuse of what my mother was doing to me. Well, that, that's a natural action for a father to take to protect his his little girl. This is a good time for us to take a break because when we go back, come back, I want to talk about how you made it with the bureaucracy. I know that one. Um, so I'm g- going to ask our listeners to stay tuned because this is something you need to hear. This is Irene Conlon with my guest Carolyn Brent saying, stay tuned. We're going to be right back. <laughs> Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at World Talk Radio. Are you looking to improve your personal or professional branding? What about your business? We've got a program that will help streamline your image management. Tune in to Marketing Matters, hosted by Yasmeen Anderson-Smith. 
Your business and public image is important to your customers' perceptions. And in this day and age, how you market yourself or your company can make the difference between running a successful business and shutting it down. Marketing Matters can be heard every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Variety. World Talk Radio presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to the Self Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1 866 613 1612. That's 1 866 613 1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is the self improvement blog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the self improvement show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the self improvement show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Carolyn Brent. We were talking about how she came to be a caregiver for her father uh, quite abruptly, actually, uh, without realizing that she was going to assume this role. And when you assume the role of the caregiver and when, when you're first trying to get care for your elderly parent, there's a lot of needles to thread. There's a lot of, you know, ropes to learn and it has mainly to do with the bureaucracy so you already knew how to work with the VA you yes. were one step ahead there so what how did you learn how to you know get through all of this because you you had to put him in a facility in the beginning didn't you no i did not the, uh, what happened was back in 2000 excuse me 1997 when you know i i found dad in that that having that challenge, the doctor prescribed Aricepts and said, your dad is in the early, early stages of dementia. So back then, that was the only drug on the market or agent on the market that, would, uh, that they felt would benefit dad as far, as far as slowing down the process. And I was in the denial stage at that particular time. I thought, you know, Superman is going to be fixed. My dad could beat this. I could help him beat it. So... What inevitably happened, I continued to go back and forth on a monthly basis visiting Dad because he was very resistant to moving in with me. I wanted him to move to California 
because I knew that I could really keep an eye on him 24 hours a day. He could move into my home, and then life would be better for both of us. So one, on one of my trips that I was uh, uh, flying through Colorado, and I stopped to visit Dad on my way to a national sales meeting, Dad decided, I'm ready to go. And he had a little tiny suitcase. It was probably Uh the size of a briefcase. That was what he packed, and it was his vitamins and, you know, uh, some bills. He said, okay, I'm ready to go with you. And I thought, oh, my God, Dad's ready to go this second. I'm on my way to Florida. So (laughs) I had to cancel my trip to Florida and um, tell my manager I'll get there when I get there. And I flew my father back to California with me. I got him set up in my apartment, had someone to watch over Dad while I went to my sales meeting, and that's how Dad ended up moving into my home. It was not, you know, it wasn't planned, although it would have been good (laughs) if we planned it, but Dad was ready to go, and he was ready to go. (laughs) There are some things you just don't plan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think back on that, and I'm going like, wow, that was really something. But Dad lived with me Irene, for approximately one year in my home, that's when I realized that, yes, Dad had the beginning stages of dementia. One time I had, I went to work, I came home, Dad sitting on the porch, gazing out at the sun, at the sun and he had a very strange look on, on, on his face. And he didn't even see me walk up to him, and I tapped him on his shoulder to get his, uh, his attention, and I noticed this horrible smell coming from in the, my home. I ran in, the kitchen, the stove was on fire oh, with pencil beans, and my father actually said that someone else did it, although it was just Dad and I living in the home, and I just thought he was joking. I pushed that aside and said, okay, Dad's just joking, no big deal. That could happen to anyone, but that was like one of many times that, you know, the, the uh, stove was on a fire. So at that time, I had an electric stove. I would just I unplug the stove when I would leave the house, and I, I would unplug the microwave because Dad would microwave foil paper in the microwave. Oh. It, it became very apparent to me that Dad had issues. So I began to do research and study at the time and uh, go to uh, medical conventions with doctors because I worked in the medical profession, and I started learning more about this disease called Alzheimer's. And then that was when I knew that uh, I had a, uh, you know, the disease was just a loaded gun, and I needed to know how to control the bullets in that gun because one thing about dementia and Alzheimer's that the way I like to describe it to people, it's like a big, huge league. It's like the uh, the NFL. There's a lot of different, uh, you know, uh, phases in the NFL as far as what football players go through, or the mm-hmm. National Basketball League. In dementia and Alzheimer's is the same thing. You could be at the mild stage to the medium stage to the abruptive stage to the severe state. So I wanted to try to help manage that. And some doctors at that time, um, one of my father's doctors ended up doing a, a cocktail drug. He, because Aricep wasn't effective enough, he ended up getting another agent, mixing it with Aricep to help control my father. 
And did that help? It, it helped, but it, that, the side effects, you know, we won't even go into the side effects because it helped with my father's agitation, the aggression, but then uh, Dad started gaining weight. I'm talking about significant amount of weight, which that was a side effect of the drug. Uh, Dad uh, became somnolent, which is sleepy during the day. You know, so it had its side effects, but it helped to control the agitation part. Yeah. Did you have any problems with him wandering away or not knowing who he was or where he was while he Dad, was living with you? Well, Dad always knew who he was, but there was one occasion uh, where, you know, once again, I'm in denial thinking that we're going to fix Dad. I was in my home office, and I, there was a grocery store not even two blocks away, and Dad, I still would let Dad drive to the grocery store. I thought, what kind of harm is that going to, you know, I mean, Dad's only at the mild stages, and Dad, I would go to, uh, to the grocery store enough with him and let him drive that I knew that Dad knew to drive two blocks away and come on home. So this one evening, Dad said, Carolyn, I'm, I'm going to go to the store to get something sweet for, to eat for dessert. Would you like for me to get something else? Oh, no, Dad, go to the store. I'll see you in a half an hour. Dinner will be on the table. Irene, that was the worst mistake of my entire life. Dad took the keys. A half an hour passed, and I'm looking out the big uh, picture window of my living room to see Dad driving, you know, to, hoping that Dad was driving down the street to come, you know, park the car. That didn't happen. Then it started getting, you know, the sun started setting more, and I got in my car, literally raced in my car, went to the store, and was, you know, canvassing the uh, parking lot looking for Dad's car, which wasn't there. I ran into the store, and I asked Every employee in the store, have you seen my father? Have you seen my father? This is what he had on. This is what he was wearing. Everyone said no. So then I thought, well, maybe Dad and I passed each other. So I'm thinking that, okay, Dad should be home by now. I arrived at my house. Irene, Dad still wasn't there. So, of course, my heart went all the way down to my toes. I thought, why did I let Dad drive to the grocery store? Where is Dad? It's a feeling, Irene, that I cannot describe to you because it's such a horrifying feeling. Well, it's got to be the same as if your child disappears. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're responsible for him, and he, at that point, was not totally available. You know, his mind was not where it had been. Yes. I have blamed myself so many times because the key thing... I mean, I could look back and see what I was thinking. I kept looking at Dad as my hero, my father. God's going to fix him. That's where where my mind was. But, you know, I I had to sober up. That's the word I I use. When my dad became lost, now we all of us know about the Amber Alert. There's something called the Silver Alert that alerts you know, the police and the sheriff's department, that there is a senior that's lost. So it's the same thing as the Amber Alert, which is... I've because, not heard of that. that yes. People need to know about that. Yes, there's a silver alert. So I had the sheriff's department, they're so good, they get on it immediately. It was a, a search throughout the whole entire state immediately. They didn't say, well, oh, you got to wait to see if your dad's going to come home. No, they immediately got on it. Of course, I panicked even more. And about 
Two hours later, Irene, I got a phone call from a car dealership uh, about 90 miles away from my home, and they oh said, uh, are you Carolyn Brent? And I'm going like, what is a car dealership doing calling me? I'm not going to buy a car. They said, well, we asked your dad. Uh, he was in here. He was looking for your house, and we felt that uh, we asked him for your phone number. He pulled his wallet out, gave us, gave us your business card, and, and uh, we got the number to call you because he seemed like he was very confused. It appeared that he had urinated on himself. I said, oh, no, stop him. That's my dad. Please stop him. And the lady at the, um, that called me, she said, well, I'm sorry. He left about five minutes ago. I said, please oh. run to the parking lot. Please get my dad. And she ran out. She said, I'm sorry. He's gone. Irene, I hopped in my car. I drove 90 miles away. By the time I had arrived to where my dad, I thought he was, uh, the car dealership was closed because I got there after 9 o'clock p.m. And there was no dad. But, Irene, I was so nervous. I went to every gas station, every 7-Eleven, uh, driving up and down the freeway in, in, in um, Sacramento, California, looking for my dad. That's how desperate I was. Wow. And how did you find him? Well, uh, a really close friend of mine that's 20 years older, she begged me to go home. She said, Carolyn, go, go back home. You're not going to find dad driving up and down the freeways. Uh, back then, cell, cell phones weren't as popular as they are right now, so and Dad did not have one, nor would he ever consent yeah. to having a cell phone. So I drove home, and I just sat staring at the phone, praying to God that my father would come home, and I got a phone call from my dad about 2 o'clock a.m., and I couldn't believe it. I said, Dad, where are you? Where are you? Because he didn't realize he was lost. He said, well, I don't know where I am, and clicked, the phone hung up, oh. and I was so devastated. Because Dad called me, but then he, the, you know, the dial tone, and not even 10 minutes later, Irene, I got a phone call from the state patrol. They said, we have your dad. And I said, oh, my God, where is he? They said, he's in Yuba City, California. Oh, my goodness. And that was about 250 miles away. Well, so, he had quite a trip. I'm no, sorry? He had quite a trip. <laughs> yes, he did. He was still looking for my house. And, that, you know, that's such a horrifying story, but I, I share that with people to let them know, like, uh, a lot of adult uh, children, they feel like, I can't take away the keys. You know, let me just leave, let me let my parents have at least some type of, you know, um, freedom. I don't want to, like, take everything away. And I share with people, when you're in... Uh, when you know that there is something going on with your parents, take away those dock on keys because safety is first. You have right. to look at safety. They may be a little angry with you, but they'll still be there. Absolutely. Uh, nobody should ever go through what I went through because, you know, and what was so sad, Irene, and I, I've never shared this on a radio show, but I will share it today because you've been so open with me. I want to be open with you. When I call my siblings, and let them know that Dad was lost. The first thing they said is, Carolyn, we know you're going to find him. When you find him, call us, but you're going to find him. I'll call us when you find him. And that was the help I got from my siblings. Wow. 
Hold that thought. It's time for us to take another break. We'll be right back with more from Carolyn Brent, so stay tuned. Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. World Talk Radio presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness is delighted to finally have the opportunity to fulfill the requests of our many guests and listeners to extend the Mind, Brain, and Body experience to a second hour. Tune in for The Lyceum, Critiques of Ancient and Modern Understanding with Dr. Michael Kell. The purpose of this show is to explore and expand upon mankind's continual efforts to explain why we exist. Join us each week as we continue our fireside chats with some of the most remarkable thinkers living today. The Lyceum airs Fridays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Variety. Hey, did you know Voice America has partnered with the Kidstar Network to expand their reach through Voice America Kids? Voice America Kids will feature talk radio for kids, by kids, along with special event programming and live broadcasts. Each program is conveniently archived for on-demand listening at any time. Please check our archives for the latest events and happenings on voiceamericakids.com. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Carolyn Brent. And we've been talking about her father who raised her and then she had to take care of him when he began to show signs of dementia, Alzheimer's. Uh, And we've been talking about some of the things that he did while she was caring for him. You know, in the span of this, even up until now, what's the most difficult part of the situation that you had to contend with uh, you know outside of losing the father that you knew now your father's still living but he wasn't the same person right that you'd always known but what was the most difficult part of the situation the most difficult part for me Irene and this is why I'm an, an advocate for the protection of seniors and the caregiver the long uh, standing caregiver was when my family thought our father was dying when they thought he was dying and let me and let me share with everyone why they thought he was dying my father ended up having 
uh, what is known as hydrocyphalus. Hydrocyphalus is water on the brain. And my father ended up developing a hydrocyphalus because, once again, when he was in my care, Dad used to be a jogger. So at the age of 75 years old, uh, while Dad was living with me and I was out on a business trip, Dad went jogging. I got a uh, phone call stating, oh, your dad is in ER. He's fallen, but he's okay. They put stitches in his head. But he was misdiagnosed. Uh, with No one knew that Dad had a cracked skull. So wow. seven years later, Dad had to have an emergency shunt put in his skull because of the hydrocyphalus that was, you know, they found hydrocyphalus. And um, uh, what happened September 19th, 2008, because I'm close to Dad, I noticed Dad started shuffling in his walk. Um, also, Dad, he started urinating, needing, uh, you know, diapers. This was like all of a sudden. So what I did, because I knew Dad very well, I had taken my father to a personal friend to get him evaluated, a, do- a physician. But this is what the catch is. I was supposed to be in Florida at another meeting, but that meeting canceled. I've never had a national sales meeting cancel at the last minute. Had, had I been at that meeting, my father would have been dead because my father wow. had what is known as a, a, um, a massive hematoma, which is bleeding on the brain. That's what my dad had. That's what was, what, what was causing my father's gait to be off and him urinating on himself, and the doctor discovered that. So I had... Once that was discovered, uh, the doctor looked at me and said, you have two choices. You have to pull this, do an emergency evacuation of the shot so your father could live. And I said, well, what's my other choice? He said, if you don't pull the shot, your father's going to die. But if we pull the shot, your father will be a vegetable. Which would you prefer? That's both of my choices. And how do you make a choice like that? Did you did you consult your your siblings then? I or? tried, and my siblings were so angry. They stayed in the denial stage that Dad was, uh, you know, they didn't even look at Dad as being sick. I called each of my siblings, told them what was going on. They did not want to get involved, even Irene, at that point. So I looked at the doctor in his eyes, and I said, you know, my father told me that he never wanted to be uh, have resuscitation if something happened to him, but we never talked about a shunt or dying or, or what. And I said, I am not God. I cannot make that decision. I said, pull the shunt so my father could live. I called each of my siblings. I had this telephone hung up in my face, and I rang two days later. I had um, someone to serve me papers for abuse charges on my father, both medical and financial abuse. A sister had uh, gone to Adult Protective Services, had all of me investigated and the whole bit, and Irene, that was the most devastating thing because not only did they not take care of, uh, help me with my father's health while I went through these years of taking care of him, they didn't even make any medical decisions at the hospital, nor were they at the hospital when Dad had his last surgery, but then the only person that had been taking care of Dad, they had a, a restraining order placed against me, and Irene, that was devastating for me. Wow. So what, what can you do in a situation like this? Who then came in to take care of him? Uh, they were supposed to take care of him. 
So this is what happened. We went to court. The very first court we went to, the sister that pressed the charges against me, I had the doctor with me. I had, uh, you know, my friends, my father's friends, and everybody, uh, an attorney. And as soon as we got before the judge, the sister looked at the judge and said, Oh, I dropped the charges, Your Honor. And then I said, Your Honor, but this is 30 days out of my life. How, you know, and the, the judge said, Well, I'm sorry, she dropped the charges. And then I ran, as soon as I walked out of court, she had her niece, I mean, my niece, which was her daughter, to serve me the same papers in another county, the same papers. She did that three oh. times, three times. My. And that's when I went to Congress, and I, I said, this has to be stopped. This is an abuse of the system. This has to be stopped. And I've been working with Congress to change some laws that if a person commits a crime like this, like she did, they should be prosecuted because she abused my dad and she abused me. And she separated the lo- Well, she didn't really separate us because my dad is with me in spirit, Irene. And he's the oh, reason absolutely. why I've written the book. This is an incredibly difficult situation, but I'm sure that there are people who are listening who are saying, yeah, I had something like that. Um, and you took action, which is really remarkable. How did you decide that you would take this to Congress, and what did you do? You know, how, how did you interface? Who did you go to? What did they have you do? Well, first I went to the Veterans Administration and said that uh, a family member had this person, well, I'll just tell the truth, twin sister. Twin sister had went to the federal building, pretended that she was me, and decided that she wanted to, uh, which she pretended she was me, and decided well, I don't want to take care of Dad anymore. That was not me. It was her that did it. That This is the truth. Wow. So the Veterans Administration, because they di- di- didn't want to, you know, like get in trouble for not checking ID, I decided I'm going to Congress because the, nobody should be able to walk off the street, regardless if you're twins or not, and say that they're XYZ person and impersonate someone. That's what happened. So I reported that to uh, Congress. Congress, of course, investigates. And then basically what the Veterans Administration said is we get to make a decision to choose anyone we want, but they never address the question. So then I went to the Office of Inspector General, and the Office of Inspector General said, well, you know, uh, they did not see any wrongdoing because how could I prove that that wasn't me? So here it is. Oh, give me a break. (laughs) It's You know what? And that's when I decided I'm going to write a book. I'm going to blow the whistle. I'm going to show the uh, bureaucracy, even with our government. I haven't stopped. I've met with uh, Congressman Jerry McNerney at least a half a dozen times. I have mounds of paperwork, uh, you know, showing that this is an epidemic in our society, and it is. I'm not the only one. This happens every single day. So I always caution to a person to put their things in writing in federal and in state. They have to do it. And the laws that I'm trying to get passed right now in, in Congress uh, with legislation, that if there is a longstanding caregiver and if there's somebody at the last minute, they come in and file abuse charges and they start uh, taking advantage of the uh, judicial system like that, they should be mentally evaluated. What is the motive of doing this? What is the motive? And if the, that, if the person is found to fraudulently 
you know, put like my sister did to me, they should be prosecuted, and that will stop people from uh, abusing power of attorney. Uh, stop okay. them. Talking about papers, and, and I really want to hear, you know, from you, some of the things that people need to have in place so they can properly care for their their parent, and so the parent gets what they asked for in terms of their last days and you know after death. Well, where where do you start? What's the first thing you need to have done? It's a really really simple. There's three major uh, papers only that a person needs. They need, number one, a medical directive. Everyone needs that. Just in case you have a sudden, unexpected emergency, what type, who do you want to take care of you? Who's going to be your spokesperson? What type of treatment you want? Secondly, you need a dual power of attorney. That right there, Irene, will cover both financial and medical. And you need a dual power of attorney, and you need to be able to have someone that you have appointed to, uh, for that to, you know, to uh, be you, to, to act on... Okay, where do, you, where do you get this done? How do, you, how do you go about doing this? You could do this your, either yourself. You could go on LegalZoom.com, get the paperwork, and then have everything submitted in uh, your jurisdiction, the courthouse, or you could hire an attorney uh, to do it for you. It really depends on what a person, uh, you know, if, if they don't want to do it themselves, they could hire an attorney. It's pretty simple. Or you could actually do it yourself. I really, really recommend when a person is caring for a, an elderly that they get a geriatric attorney because there's something known as a sibling contract and uh, that will protect the caregiver. There, ah. Less than 1% of the U.S. attorneys even know about this. I, had I known... When I was caring for dad, when my sibling said, dad a girl, you do it, you're doing a great job, I would have had them to fill that paperwork out, and you and I, Irene, would not even be having this conversation because I would have been protected. And yet, you know what, you're doing such an incredibly great service that many, many people are going to benefit from the problems that you had with the system. What's the third paper that the they need? The third one is a will and or a trust. And a lot of people ask me, Carolyn, what's the difference between a will and a trust? And this is very simple. I like to simplify. A trust is, think of that as a gift box uh, that you're going to just keep, like, on your kitchen table. And everything that you want a, a person to have, you put it in that gift box, which is your trust. Now, the people will get what's in that gift box box only when you die, when you're dead. So that's what a trust is. A will, there's the flexibility. You're alive. You could just be sick in a hospital, and what's in that will, that person can actually, you know, fulfill whatever your wishes are. So it's best to have both, a a will and a trust. Okay, on that thought, we're going to take our last break. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Carolyn Brent, talking about caring for our aged parents. So stay tuned. We'll be right back, and we'll find out how we can reach her. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the World Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
Hi, this is Rochelle and Jeff from Travel Hub Radio with another Travel Hub tip. You're late for your flight and there is a long line at the security checkpoint. What can you do as a traveler to improve time and efficiency and make your flight quickly? One idea is to take everything out of your pockets, such as sunglasses, cell phones, PDAs, pagers, and other metal and electronic objects. Put them in an easily accessible pocket on your carry-on luggage. If security asks you to display or operate these items, they're right there. Plus, you won't hold up the line when you have to do the walk. A metal belt buckle or a wristwatch is usually not a problem, but be aware of them and ready to remove them quickly if needed. Wear comfortable shoes that can be quickly slipped off and on if you are asked to remove them. Most of all, if the security personnel give you specific directions or ask you a question, don't argue. Just comply and cooperate. It's not personal. They're just doing their job. For traveling tips and much more, make sure you tune into Travel Hub Radio or listen to the show archives and podcast right here on World Talk Radio and at TravelHubRadio.com. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. You are tuned in to the Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-866-613-1612. That's 1-866-613-1612. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're on the last lap with our guest, Carolyn Brandt. I can't believe this show's gone by so quickly. Carolyn, tell the the listeners how they can find your book uh, and how they can find you on the Internet. Okay. Um, My book is located on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. They could get it online on Kindle, Nook. Every place. So, and I'm really honored. I read my book hit number one the day that we launched on the 15th. So, wow, a fabulous book. It's an excellent book. I, I really couldn't put it down. I, I really was identifying with what happened with you, mm. uh, and it's 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 readable. I mean, it's not a it's not a boring kind of book with a lot of medical details. It's you are real life. In your face right now. Right. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So give us the name of your book again. The name of the book is called Why Wait? The Baby Boomer's Guide to Preparing Emotionally, Financially, and Legally for a Parent's Death. Also, they could find me on www.caregiverstory.com and babyboomersguide.org, which is a blogging uh, station. If they want to reach you, is there an email address or a contact address associated with those websites? Absolutely. They just go to contact. They could email me or call me up. Uh, Not a problem. Fantastic. I I really recommend to you that you read this book. You you may be 21 now, but guess what? You're going to get older. Um, your parents are going to need you. You might as well go into this prepared. And I don't know that there's another thing out there that gives the information that this book has. Is there anything else like it, Carolyn? Actually, no. Actually, no. That's why I wrote the book. Because when I did my research, my editor and I, we found that there were no books that addressed specifically the sibling piece and also to really give rich resources for everything you need to know, the health too. 
And they're in that book. One thing we haven't touched on, and I'd really like to know more about this, is you founded Grandpa's Dream. What's Grandpa's Dream? Grandpa's Dreams is my father's wishes as far as providing mankind the love, the resources, helping. Because my dad was a pastor, and that's what he would have wanted. So that's why we call it Grandpa's Dream. So that's where the book comes uh, to place. And Caregiver Story is a free medical resource guide for anything that a person may need or think they need when it comes to medical, financial, legal. I have all the national resources on that site free of charge so a person could just go on there, take whatever they need, and run. And that's, and the reason why I developed that, because of everything I had to look for when I was caring for my dad. I discovered, let me put this all together so a person doesn't have to, you know, we don't have to be ignorant. Knowledge is power. Absolutely. Um, you know, you were a caregiver. You were a caregiver, one of these 24-7 kind of caregivers like I was. Um, and, and you have some really great tips for caregivers. So, you know, if, if anybody's in that situation now that they're the primary caregiver, you know, read this because it's very helpful. What what tips would you give just, you know, offhand to a caregiver? Take respite. And a respite is going to give you that fueling that you need uh, to take care of yourself. Let someone pamper you. And I always really encourage the family, if there is a caregiver or even extended family, give that caregiver a break for a week or two. Paid vacation. Pamper that caregiver and caregivers pamper yourself uh, try to exercise, try to do meditation, but you got you have to take a break. You must. And you I must. did not do that. I didn't take a break. I didn't either. In some areas, hospice has a respite program that they'll bring your loved one in for a week so you can recover. And, and I mean the word recover. Absolutely. And also the VA has, offers that too for veterans. So that you and my dad, I could have actually left dad at the VA for for two weeks in one of the hospitals. But then I said, Oh no, I I got to be there. I got to take care of dad. I must do it because I don't trust anyone. If I had to do it all over again, Irene, I would have taken dad there for two weeks. Dad would have been just fine. The veterans they do take care of each other, and I would have tried to take care of me. Which is really critical because if something happens to you, then there's no one there for dad. Absolutely. No, but we forget that because we get in this mind thought that nobody else can do it like us. Now, with me, Stephen wouldn't let anybody else because nobody could do it right, according to him. And it, it didn't even feel like a compliment. <laughs> it really yeah. did. And, and, and because they're so frightened and you're so comforting to them, they don't Absolutely. want to let you out of their sight. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, and at the, when your dad finally left your home, you were not so well, were you? Uh, no. Actually, after being, uh, being a caregiver and then being uh, attacked by my family, I discovered how ill I was. I ended up having surgery because I, I had, uh, I, I continued to like bleed profusely constantly and I uh, stress brought that on. And then I, of course, I had working, worked with a broken foot because I couldn't take off work or thought I couldn't take off work. 
because uh, I, you know, I was paying cash out of pocket for debts. Uh, where he lived, it was $6,500 a month, and I knew I could not lose my job. So I, I'm still still uh, trying to mend myself. I'm still trying to become whole. I did not become a train wreck overnight, and it's no. taken years for me to you know, try to feel better. And I still suffer with chronic pain to this day. It takes a toll on us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a very serious but very loving uh, kind of thing that we do as caregivers, but it does take a toll. We're right up to the end of the show, Carolyn. What words would you like to leave the listeners with? What's the thought that you'd like to leave them with, especially? You know, the thought is families come together, please be as one, get together, have those crucial con- end of life conversations, and put your paperwork in order and be a support not only for each other, but let your parents die with pride and dignity that their their legacy is going to be, you know, embraced by all. Certainly you're a tribute to daughters everywhere, Carolyn, for the amazing work you did with your father. And, you know, you're a tribute to womanhood for the things you did trying to get this situation remedied. And, and I really want to keep in touch with you. Next week's, next week's guest is Betsy Thompson. Betsy's been with us before. She's a lovely guest. She has a book called Love Parent, and it's almost a manual for raising your children lovingly. It's really very dear. So next week we'll be talking to Betsy Thompson. Carolyn, thank you so very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. This is Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show saying... Come back again next week and hear what Betsy Thompson has to say about being a loving parent. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for the Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.